Well, we're in a series right now called Next, and primarily what we've been focusing on in this series is what does it mean for me to, rather than focusing on what's five steps down the road, what does it mean for me to focus on what is next for me? God, what is next for me? What's the next thing you want me to do? And the first week of this series, Brian talked about what does it mean to be all in? What does it look like when we're all in and we say, God, I am all in for whatever you want, I am all in. And last week, Chuck talked about hope and the importance of maintaining hope in our lives. And this week, I'd like for us to focus on dreams and talk about dreams because I think there's something within us that is drawn to dreamers. I think there's something in us that resonates with dreamers. You know, we watch shows about people who, who fulfill dreams, who build businesses, these huge businesses, and something in us resonates when somebody accomplishes something like that. Or there's, there, there's a part of us that resonates when we see somebody climb Mount Everest. Have you guys watched that show, the Mount Everest show, where these people are climbing Mount Everest? I'm like, you people are crazy. What are you thinking, right? But there's something in us that resonates with that. We're drawn to that when people have dreams and they fulfill their dreams. Or people who do great acts of humanitarianism. And we see them fulfill these dreams that they've had, and we think, man, there's something great about that. And I think... I think the reason that resonates with us so deeply is because we're made in the image of God. And I believe that God has called us to something greater. We're the only creatures on earth who have dreams. We're the only creatures on earth who aspire to greatness, unless you define greatness as not being eaten today. Which, by the way, I also define that as greatness. (laughs) We're the only creatures who aspire to something more, who reach beyond ourselves who have dreams, and I believe that God gives us dreams. I believe that God gives us dreams. And I think dreamers sometimes get a bad rap, don't they? They get a bad rap. I think we we sometimes call dreamers slackers, musicians, ouch, that one hurts. (laughs) But I believe that God gives us dreams, but I think that the reason God gives us dreams is not so that we can go out and accomplish something. I don't think God is nearly as interested in what we go and accomplish as what he's building in us through the process. You see, I think that's where many of us get lost. I think we have these dreams, we have these aspirations, but then we are pulled back to reality by the day-to-day needs or the day-to-day activities that we have to do just to get through the day. There's nothing dream-esque about laundry and TPS reports, right? And yet, God continues to plant these seeds of greatness and aspiration in us and to call us to something more. And we see this thing and we think, wow, that would be really great. We have this vision of what the future could be. And today, what I want us to focus on is how God uses dreams in our life. But not, not so that we can go out and accomplish something, because I believe that God's dreams for us are less about what we're gonna do then than what God wants to do in us right now. See, I think God uses dreams to build greatness in us. I think God uses dreams to build greatness in us. I believe that we are all destined for greatness by God. I do. Now before you say thank you, Tony Robbins, let me say that God's idea of greatness is not our idea of greatness. So greatness is probably not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. I believe God uses dreams to build greatness in us. I think that the dreaming process is very similar to the childbirth process. Any of you who have been through childbirth, you know there are three stages of childbirth. There's a a very quick conception phase, and unlike Brian, I'm just gonna leave that alone and move right on to the next phase, 
which is nine months of waiting and anticipation and agony and discomfort and even sometimes second guessing, like what have we gotten ourselves into? And then there's a very quick birthing process when you know, the whole thing is fulfilled. And by the way, guys, I made the mistake, any of you who aren't parents yet, just give you this advice, I made the mistake of letting my wife overhear me on the phone talking to one of my friends saying, oh, it was a relatively easy labor. <laughs> not a good idea, not a good idea. Your dreams will not be fulfilled if you do that, that's right. <laughs> I think that that childbirth process is very similar to the way dreams work out in our life. There's conception, God impregnates us with a dream. He shows us what is possible. And then there's a long period of waiting in between when we just kind of have to wait and we just have to say, all right, well, we're in this thing and we're gonna work our way through it one way or the other. And then there's the birthing process when the dream is fulfilled. And a lot of times when that comes, it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like in the beginning. I believe that God uses dreams to build greatness in us. And the thing I want you to think about is this. At any stage in your life, wherever you are in your life right now, if God is using dreams to define greatness in you, then how you define greatness defines you. How you define greatness defines you. If you define greatness as having the totally sweet corner office and the Audi TT, that's probably defining your life right now. If you define greatness as being the best in the world at some skill, that's probably defining your life right now. If you define greatness as comfort, that's probably defining your life right now. See, how you define greatness defines you, and God wants to build in you the capacity for greatness, and he uses our dreams to do that. Today we're gonna to take a look at a, a story in the Bible that parallels this pretty closely. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph was the grandson of Abraham. Last week Chuck talked about Abraham and how God had promised Abraham that a nation would be uh, fulfilled through him, through a child. Well, Joseph is in, in many ways, the great grandson of Abraham is kind of the fulfillment of that promise. He was the youngest of 12, 12 brothers that became the 12 tribes of Israel. So he was the youngest, he was kind of the runt of the litter. He was always picked on any youngest uh, children in here, yeah, you guys kind of know, they're, they're good, there's good and bad, right? Because you're the youngest, you're kind of the baby of the family, everybody sort of like dodes on you and everything, but you're always getting picked on, you're always getting kicked around. And that was kind of Joseph's story. And his story goes something like this. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, his older brothers, by the way, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, youngest children among us, first of all, <laughs> Joseph is a snitch. Not a good way to start. Not a good way to start. Now Israel, his father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, so Joseph, we already know, he's maybe you know, a little bit of a troublemaker. He's an instigator, he's bringing bad reports. And we know his father made him wear a Tommy Bahama robe, so his brothers did not like the fact that his father is doting on him more than them, but the story actually gets worse. Joseph had a dream, he had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. 
We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, like you do, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. The first thing Joseph does when he has this dream is he goes and he tells all the brothers, hey, guess what just happened to me? Guess what God just told me is gonna happen? Some of you who are corporate types, I've, I've heard there are some of us, some of those among us here at Crossroads. Can you imagine going into the boardroom and, and barging in on the CEO, the chairman, and the entire board and saying, hey guys, I just wanna let you know, God just told me that someday you guys are all gonna be taking my orders, okay? Nothing to do about it right now, right? I just wanted to let you know, nothing to do about it, I'll show my way out. What do you think is gonna happen? Other than contributing to the already staggering unemployment rate, right? Not good things are going to come from that. Well, that's pretty much what Joseph did. There's a clear pecking order and Joseph just violated it in a major way. And I think some of this was probably Joseph out of pride and maybe a little bit of vengeance twisting the knife in his brother's side for years and years of getting picked on and abuse. See, sometimes when God plants a dream in us, when God impregnates us with a dream, we want to take it and start mapping out the rest of our life and how it's all going to play out. It's kind of like when, when, we're, we're, when we're pregnant with a child, predicting what our child's future occupation is going to be. Sometimes when God gives us a dream, we want to we take that seed of a dream and we want to map out the rest of our life. See, I think if Joseph had defined greatness at this point in his life, he probably would have defined it as positional power. He probably would have said, greatness to me will look like when I'm sitting on the throne and all you guys who have been picking on me are coming and bowing down to me because I have the power. Right? That's probably how Joseph would have defined greatness when God gave him this dream. And that had some very real consequences in Joseph's life. You see, greatness, when God gives us a dream, when God plants a dream in us, greatness looks like humility. Greatness looks like humility. Sometimes we take a dream and we think we know better than God. God, thank you for that dream. I'll take it from here. I want to give you some insight into how this story has played out in my life because I've had some, some very real and very painful experience with dreams and how God uses them in our life, especially as it relates to humility. Uh, my wife and I are the proud and completely terrified parents of three kids, uh, seven, five, and three. And I would say that my five and three-year-olds have had a completely different daddy than my seven-year-old. And I don't mean biologically, by the way, for those keeping track at home. <laughs> um, I came on staff at Crossroads in 2001. I had had a dream for a very long time of being a part of an organization that was doing great things in the world that was changing the world. And uh, so when the opportunity to come on staff at Crossroads came up, I was like, sweet, I am on board, let's go for it. And there were a whole lot of other things happening in my life, I'm gonna have time to talk about that. Um, I'll sit down with coffee with you sometime if you wanna hear it. Um, but you know, I, I was excited to be a part of this, this young, entrepreneurial, thriving movement that was changing the world. And I quickly moved into overseeing our weekend services at Crossroads, and then quickly after that, uh, started overseeing our entire creative staff, all two of us at the time. <laughs> um, but that grew and my role and responsibility grew with it over time. And 
I was bringing my own baggage to the table. You see, I have struggled my entire life with a need to be seen as a contributor, to be approved by the people I work with, by my boss. Um, I've struggled with that my entire life. And so to be in a young, thriving, entrepreneurial environment where we're still trying to figure out what is this thing looking like and where's it gonna go, that was kind of a bad combination for me. I was working 50, 60 plus hours a week. I was working nights. I was working weekends. And by the way, this was not an organizational expectation by any stretch of the imagination. Brian Tome sat me down on multiple occasions and said, we're going to set some rails about how much, around how much you're allowed to work. When was the last time your boss did that for you, right? Hey, Tex, you're working a little too hard here. Let's back off the pedal, you know? Doesn't happen a whole lot, but this is, a, this, you know, Crossroads obviously practices what it preaches. But this was not driven by some organizational expectation, this is driven by my own need for approval. You see, I think if I would have defined greatness at that point in my life, greatness would have been seen as an indispensable contributor. I think I would have defined greatness as being an indispensable contributor. I need to be seen as important. I need everybody to know that if I wasn't around, if I wasn't around, things would be different around here. That's how I would have defined greatness. You see, God had given me a dream to be a part of something great that's happening, and I'd sort of twisted it because of my baggage, because of my definition of greatness. I'd twisted it into something it wasn't intended to be. And the worst part wasn't the time. The worst part was when I was at home with my kids, with my wife, I was never present. I was never there. Mentally, I was always off working on my my dream, my thing trying to figure out how am I gonna prove my worth? How am I gonna show I'm indispensable to what's going on? Nobody was expecting that of me, and yet there I was. See, God had some things to teach me about humility and about how he's using dreams in my life to develop something other than what I really thought he was doing. And that's what God does with dreams. God, God gives us dreams to develop the capacity for greatness in us, but it doesn't look like what we think. And so as a result, we settle for less than what God desires to give us because we compromise the process. And eventually I crashed pretty hard. And I'm gonna talk about that in a little bit as well. But I crashed pretty hard because I simply couldn't keep the plates spinning. I, crushed, I was crushed under the weight of my own need for approval. And that was not what God desired for me. And I realized that God had some things to teach me by breaking me down and by working in me and teaching me what humility looks like and teaching me what it looks like to be a husband and to be a father because that's what God wanted to teach me. God needed to break me down. And the same thing happened with Joseph. The next thing that happened to Joseph probably wasn't in his game plan. (laughs) Joseph had told his brothers about this dream, and because of that, they were pretty angry, and they decided to kill him. But instead of killing him, they sold him into a caravan that was going to Egypt as a slave. So Joseph is shipped off to Egypt as a slave, and he gets sold into the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard of the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, Egypt, the the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And because of a variety of circumstances, Joseph is accused of something he didn't do unjustly. Joseph was faithful, but he was accused of something he didn't do unjustly, and he was thrown in prison. 
He was thrown in prison. He has a dream of this great, his brothers bowing to him, being a great person. Joseph interprets that as positional greatness. He tells his brothers about it. He's sold into slavery, and now he's in prison. How's Joseph's story working out for him so far? Do you think that's what he had in mind when God gave him this dream? Probably not, but you see, God wasn't about putting Joseph on a throne. God was trying to tell Joseph, there's something I want to do in your life. See, I think most of us spend our lives, the majority of our lives, between getting a dream and seeing the dream fulfilled. We spend most of our lives in the waiting phase. And in the waiting phase, greatness looks like patient persistence. Greatness looks like patient persistence. I think about it kind of like a GPS. Let's, let's say that after uh, the service today, you're going to leave here and you're going to drive to Cleveland. Now, I know, I have no idea why you want to go to Cleveland, all right? But just stay with me, okay? You're going to go to Cleveland, so you pull out of Crossroads, and the first thing you hear very quickly is turn left on Madison. And the next thing you hear very shortly after that is turn left on Ridge. And the next thing you hear after that is turn right on the strange dead-end street at the bottom of the hill. I don't know what it's called. Anyway. And then you're gonna get on I-71. What's gonna happen when you get on I-71? Drive straight until your legs turn numb, right? <laughs> That's the instruction you're gonna get. And you're not gonna hear anything for a while, are you? So let's say you drive through Hamilton County, and you drive through Butler County, you drive through Warren County, you drive through Clinton County. Let's see if I can do this. You drive through Fayette County. You drive through Madison County. Is that right? Yes. And you drive through Pickaway County. And all of a sudden, you drive into Franklin County. You're getting close to Columbus, and you start to freak out, which, by the way, I always do when I get close to Columbus. Anyway, you start to freak out because you start thinking, I haven't heard anything in a while. For a while, in the dream phase, instructions were coming fast and furious. Turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, drive straight. So you start to panic. Maybe you get off the road. Maybe you try to find a gas station or find a map. Maybe you spend a lot of time driving on back roads trying to find your way because you start to panic. Maybe you go buy a compass and start driving northeast because I know, I know it's out there somewhere. And I know it sounds silly, but we do the same thing with God. We confuse God's silence as abandonment. Because we haven't heard instructions for a while, we think, God, where am I going? Am I still going the right way? Am I going the right direction? Did I mishear God? Maybe I misheard God. Maybe I'm going the wrong direction. So we get off the road and we spend a lot of time and energy. We waste it trying to find our own way when God is saying, I told you what to do. I just want you to keep doing it. Just be faithful. My friend Stephen says, it is an act of faithlessness for us to require God to speak more than once on any given subject. Once God has spoken, that's it. And sometimes when we're in the waiting phase, God will say, do this thing, keep doing it, and don't ask questions. Just keep doing it and don't ask questions. Now, at this time, some of us, some of us get angry because we haven't heard from God in a while. Some of us maybe get bitter. We start pointing our anger at God. God, why have you done this to me? Why are you sending me to Cleveland? right? We get angry. Some of us start trying to figure out what God's doing. 
Right, so we look for some landmarks and we say, well, I see this over here and I see this over here and this thing over here and so maybe that connects to this and this. It's like a giant metaphysical game of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? We're trying to make connection points in our life and figure out what God's doing. God's saying, don't look for the patterns. Stop looking for patterns. Just be faithful. Just do what's next. It's not about where you're going. It's about what I'm trying to do in you right now, but you're missing the point. You're missing the point because you're taking your eye off the ball, Just be faithful. Do the stuff you know to do. Sometimes we need to do the right things in our life, even when we don't see the connecting points. Even when we don't understand how this is going to lead me where I think God is calling me, because I have this dream, but I don't understand how these things in the middle are lining up with that. We just need to be faithful. We need to be patient. We need to be persistent. And we need to wait. We need to wait. God sometimes is not not abandoning us. God is just in between instructions. And we, we can't connect the dots. We don't understand. Why am I waxing the car? Why am, I, why, why am I sanding the deck? I don't understand it. But God is teaching us something. God is developing in us the capacity for greatness. We think we're trying to learn karate. So the point between learning karate and kicking Johnny's butt at the competition is filled with a lot of stuff we don't understand. God is developing in us the capacity for greatness. God is redefining what greatness looks like for us. I've had lots of uh, waxing the car moments in my life, things that God has told me, these things are very important to you right now. And most of them revolve around my wife and my kids. One of them for me is this. I am not allowed to say no when my child asks me to read a book to them. (gasps) I hate Dora the Explorer. I do. (laughs) I have grown to loathe her. But... I am not allowed to say no to my child when they ask me to read them a book. Now, is reading the book to my child really that important? No, but God is telling me, your child is more important in this moment than whatever is in your email. Whatever is going on there right now, because you have a problem with needing to be seen as indispensable. So I am teaching you that your child is more important than anything that's in your email right now. God is developing greatness in me every time I choose to read a book to my child. Now, sometimes when she's coming across the room, I might kick the book under the couch so she doesn't see it, okay? That's fair game. (laughs) But if she asks me or if he asks me to read the book, then I have to read it to them. Another one is whenever it snows or ices, I scrape my wife's windshield. Okay, now I've taken God to task on this one a couple times because first of all, she gets to park in the driveway and I have to park on the street. So already there's some inequity there, right? But... Whenever the sun comes up because of the way she parks, it always melts the ice and snow off of her windshield anyway. So whatever I do is kind of irrelevant because by the time she leaves the house, the snow and ice are going to be gone. But God has said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anybody can scrape a windshield. But I'm teaching you that your job right now is to love and serve your wife. And whatever busy, important appointment you think you're running off to right now, Whatever you think you're off to do is not as important as you taking five minutes to stop and scrape your wife's windshield. I'm teaching you to be a husband. I'm teaching you to be a father. That's how God is defining greatness in my life right now as I'm pursuing my dream. And I think God does the same thing for all of us. I think there are specific things God wants us to know. These are very important things. These are your waxing the car, sanding the deck moments. And I think we have to really, each of us, take a look at what is it that God wants me to do right now and ask God, what are the things that you want to work on in me while I'm in this waiting phase? 
See, God has broken me down. He's taught me some things through being faithful in the moment. God has developed in me the capacity for greatness. And the same thing happened to Joseph. Through a variety of circumstances while Joseph was in prison for, I don't know, 20 years, he was given the opportunity to interpret dreams while he was in prison. And one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And somebody remembers, hey, there's this guy in prison who knows how to interpret dreams. So they go get Joseph and bring him to Pharaoh. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph, or Pharaoh, is so impressed with what Joseph does that he makes him second in command over all of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Not long after that, there was a famine throughout the world. And guess who comes to Egypt looking for food? The 11 brothers. This is perfect. It's the dream scenario. It's smackdown time. Joseph sitting on the throne, just like God said, here are his brothers bowing down to him. The dream has been fulfilled, right? Let's see how Joseph responds. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Now, they didn't recognize him. This has been, what, 20 years or something. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified of his presence. Well, yeah. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Wow, that is not the same snitching, proud, boastful Joseph that had told his brothers about the dream 20 years before, is it? It's a different person. You see, when Joseph's dream was finally fulfilled, it didn't look anything like he thought it was going to look like when God gave it to him. But because Joseph had been patient and persistent and faithful in the moment, God had developed in him the capacity for greatness and he was able to forgive his brothers for doing a horrendous act to him and say, God, I am thankful. I am thankful for what you have done. I am grateful. See, God was developing in Joseph the kind of greatness that God gets excited about. God's saying, I can put anybody on a throne. Are you kidding? I can put anybody on a throne. That's not the kind of greatness I get excited about. I get excited about that kind of greatness. I get excited about the kind of person who can forgive the brothers who sold him into slavery. God was developing greatness in Joseph in the waiting phase. And when our dream is finally fulfilled, greatness looks like gratitude. When our dream is finally fulfilled, greatness looks like gratitude. Now some of us, we just move on to the next thing. All right, thanks God, what's the next thing you have for me? We start working on our future, making plans, doing things, moving stuff around but we never take time to stop and be thankful and say, God, I am so grateful for the journey. I'm so grateful for what you've done in me as you've been doing something through me. I recently read the book uh, by John Krakauer, Into Thin Air, and I was struck by this quote about climbing Mount Everest. He said this, but now that I was finally standing here on the summit of Mount Everest, I just couldn't summon the energy to care. What? You just climbed the tallest mountain in the world and you're like, eh, what's for breakfast, right? I think some of us live our lives that way. We never take time to be thankful and to say, God, I am so grateful, not just that you gave me something I've been dreaming about, because I know you give me dreams, but I'm thankful 
for the journey that you've had me on. I'm thankful for what you've been doing in me while you've been doing something through me. Over Christmas break, I had kind of a breakthrough moment with regard to this journey of greatness. Um, there have been maybe three or four times in my life I felt really clearly like God has told me something. You know, and you may hear people say, God said something to me. Um, I've never heard an audible voice, but there have been a couple of times where it has been so clear to me, all right, there's something important going on here I need to pay attention, and this was one of those times. And I heard words that, that went something like this. If you go to the grave, an anonymous, unaccomplished man, but your kids know that they're loved, I will count you as great. If you go to the grave, an anonymous, unaccomplished man, and your kids know that they're loved, I will count you as great. God is defining greatness for me. How does God define greatness for you right now? Do you think your definition of greatness is the same as God's definition of greatness? Or are you too busy pursuing the thing that you think God is calling you to to pay attention to what God is calling you to in every moment of your life? You see, when, when I choose to read my kid a book, I'm choosing greatness. When I choose to scrape my wife's windshield, I'm choosing greatness. When you choose to tell the truth, when a fib might make you look a little bit better in your boss's eyes and maybe get you a little closer to that next promotion you think God's calling you to, you're choosing greatness. You're not taking things into your own hands. You're saying, God, I'm gonna be on your plan. When you choose to be honest about the numbers when you could probably pad the proposal and get a little closer to your quota, you're choosing greatness. You're saying, God, I am going to be faithful and patient and persistent in the moment. That's the kind of greatness God gets excited about. God can give anybody a promotion. God can put anybody on a throne. But God is developing in you a capacity for greatness in the waiting phase. I don't know where you are right now. Some of us maybe have just received a dream from God, and we just need to be humble and say, God, thank you. Thank you that you have called me beyond myself. Thank you that you've given me a vision for something to aspire to. Thank you that you've destined me for greatness in some capacity. And a lot of us are probably in that waiting place in between when we've been inspired and we've seen it fulfilled. And we just need to be patient and persistent and figure out which cars do I need to wax, which floors do I need to sand. God's developing something in you that's more important than what he's doing through you. And maybe some of us have just had a dream fulfilled and we just need to be grateful to God and say, thank you, thank you for the journey. Not just God, take me to the next thing, but thank you. And take a moment to enjoy standing on the peak of the mountain. How do you define greatness right now in your life? Because how you define greatness defines you. How you define greatness defines you. I'm gonna take a minute just to pray and ask God that he would define greatness for us right now. Let's pray. God, I am thankful for the journey that you've had me on and I know many others in my community on of learning what it means to just be faithful, to listen, to obey, to do what's now instead of worrying about what's next. And God, 
I ask for all of us in this room that you would define for us what does greatness look like for us? What is the choice of greatness in our life right now? What are the things that you want to develop in us that we need to pay attention to as you're moving us to whatever it is you're calling us to? I thank you that you care for us and that you call us to something more. And you've given us the capacity to dream because our dream is a reflection of our longing for you. And ask that you continue to cultivate and develop that in us. Help us to define greatness in our life. Amen.